Hello and welcome to episode 58 part 1 of Pay-Per-View, where I review the papers and big headlines over the week in place of vets and headlines in their true context in a weekly podcast. Pay-Per-View, now on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts and Player FM. And the first subject of this episode is homeschooling, specifically. This is in The Independent. Instead of judging parents who homeschool, the government should recognise that it's failing our kids. The start of September is that time when social media is flooded with photos of uniformed children smiling, getting ready to receive an education provided by the state. Well, there's a lot of kids who are not looking forward to going back to school in September as well. Anyway, the article goes on. Except that, for a growing number of children in the UK, school is not only unable to cater for their needs and learning style, but is set up in a way that is actively sabotaging their ability to engage, leaving them anxious, isolated and with low self-esteem. The number of children in the UK who are homeschooled has more than doubled in the last four years, and the reason is not because of an increase in covert child abuse or radicalisation, the apparent fears of those pushing for registration but largely because so many kids are being failed by the current state schooling model. Rather than create a moral panic around the motives of homeschoolers, it's time the government acknowledges its failings in the education system and puts effort funding into rectifying them. Many homeschooled children out there are neurodivergent, disabled, gender diverse, or have strong cultural or religious convictions that stand them apart from their peers. Not only do many of these children find they are unable to engage in meaningful education in mainstream school because their needs aren't being met, But they become a magnet for bullies. From the child with Down syndrome who can't attend a school trip for health and safety reasons, to the transgender children bunking off because of physical and verbal abuse the school can't control. Many children end up in a homeschool environment not because of a philosophical choice, but because their desperate parents simply want what's best for them. And this one-size-fits-all education system cannot provide it. My own child is on the autism spectrum and has been periodically homeschooled over the last six years as as well as in the mainstream school system in both the UK and in New Zealand, where we have also spent some time. He's a bright child, keen to learn, but in an open-plan classroom with dozens of other children, he's easily distracted. His fixation on specific specialist topics mean he struggles to engage in activities that don't spike his interest. Well, that would go for a lot of kids. Why would you be fully engaged in something you're not interested in? You don't need to be autistic for that to apply to you. That's just a general way of approaching something. And if you're not interested in it, you're not going to be fully engaged in it, are you? And if kids were more interested in what they were doing at school, they would be more engaged. The article goes on. His fixation on specific specialist topics mean he struggles to engage in activities that don't spike his interest and his anxiety and difficulty reading his social cues can often land him in hot water with his peers. We've withdrawn him periodically to help him reset mentally, catch up academically and to work on the social and emotional skills often neglected in a busy mainstream school environment. When your child is struggling at school, your own emotional well-being takes a hit. In the UK, where parents have legal responsibility to provide an education, it has been possible to simply withdraw your child from school without having to justify your reasons, giving you the space mentally and physically to focus on their needs. But in New Zealand and Australia, where the state has legal responsibility for schooling, you need to apply for an exemption to homeschool, a lengthy and time-consuming process. Even when you have an exemption, you are never completely free from the box-ticking activities of the state, with Ministry of Education representatives able to visit your home to see if they're happy with the education being provided. No, it's to see if your child is being 
programmed with the state's version of everything that they want kids to believe because to manipulate and control an entire population can't do it physically except in certain areas small numbers of people in comparison you need to do it by manipulating perception and the elite's agenda which i detailed over the course of pay-per-view its foundation is manipulation of perception because that's the only way that a tiny few people can manipulate and control billions the article goes on homeschooling parents live in the shadow of the knowledge that educators can force them to return their child to an unsuitable institution at any time without providing additional support registering homeschooled children in the uk is the first step down a similar path of control the updated guidance around homeschooling released this week includes a flowchart to show a local authority's options if they're unhappy about the education a child is receiving at home all routes end in obtaining a care order this is all about the state taking over from parents as i've talked about many times before and the idea is that the state becomes the parents eventually the article goes on I know phrases like school refusal and high anxiety smack of helicopter parenting, but until you've seen your child self-harm to get out of going to school, then you've got no idea. With that in mind, you've got to ask yourself, why would you be happy about changes that could force you to place your kids into an unsafe environment under the guise of government concern over their well-being? If this government were genuinely concerned about our children, they wouldn't be asking what homeschoolers are up to. They would be asking why there are so many. They would be talking to the stressed out teachers about their underfunded schools. They will be plowing more money into the education, health and care plan process and making sure resources are in place to enact the care plans once they've been agreed upon. If the major cause for concern is ensuring all children receive a good education that prepares them for life, it's essential the lens of inquiries turned in upon the system itself. Absolutely correct. Homeschooling is a very innovative way to get around state establishment programming. That's what the education system is, perception programming. Education is becoming more and more what it was already, which is indoctrination of the permanent government's official view of everything, as opposed to the here-today-gone-tomorrow politicians and political leaders. That strata of society, which is always there, where decisions are really made. School is constantly, five days a week, filling kids' brains with often untrue and irrelevant information. The education system is an information download of the permanent government's perception that they need people to have so they'll have the perceptions they want, so that they'll act as they want. Kids are taught that the official version of everything is the only truth and credible explanation for anything. Basically, as a meme I saw once phrased it perfectly, The system knows best and is always right. The state, the establishment, whatever you want to call it. And so many people have that perception. And not by accident. People take this download with them through their lives and it becomes their perception of normal and how things are. When it's just a download of perception that they've never checked. They've just taken it as read. Because a teacher said it, so it must be true. And that then becomes the media said it, so it must be true. And not to the same extent, but government said it, so it must be true. The education system is, to a large extent, focused on the left side of the brain and left brain information. And both sides of the brain have important contributions to make. But the right side of the brain is creativity, imagination, intuition, seeing and making connections, seeing the big picture instead of just the dots. That's 
why right-brain subjects like art, music, drama, etc. are constantly diminished in favour of left-brain subjects. Because the education system is there to prepare kids and young people for a left-brain world. Because that's the perception that suits the permanent government. If you accept the left-brain programming enough, you get rewarded with lots of exam passes, praise and prestige. And you can then go to a good college and a good university, good at programming, to continue the programming even more even after you've left school. And by the time you leave college or university, you are fully locked into that perception. And so we have a society where people who are primarily coming from the left brain, some more than others, but most people are mostly left brained, who can't perceive beyond those perception parameters to see things from a different perspective and who therefore only look to other such people for information on everything because their perspective is only they know, because they're experts, or they're a teacher, they're a doctor, they're a journalist, they're a scientist. They must know. Why bother even listening to any other explanation? They can't know any more than the official establishment view, so why bother? Perception is everything. And so what we have is a repeating cycle of perception, where the vast majority of people will never check what they've been told, They'll never check whether their perception is true, what the origin of their perception is, why they believe what they do. They'll just take it as read because it's come from an official source. And that process starts in school. In other words, society is run by the official narrative, constantly confirming the official narrative and never challenging it or going beyond it. Within a few short years of life now, you're sitting at a desk with an authority figure telling you what's true, what's not true, what and who is credible, and what and who is not and can never be credible. Where you can go, when you can go, when you can eat, when you can go to the toilet, when you have to be there, when you can leave, and the punishments for not complying and following orders. And then you go to work and the same acquiescence to authority is demanded. Even more so. One of the benefits of homeschooling is the freedom it allows kids who don't have to be told when they can talk or when you go to the toilet. They just do it, like they can outside of school in general. So they don't grow up constantly in this controlled environment where they constantly have to get permission from the authority figure representing the state for everything they want to say and do. And that acquiescence to authority five days a week right throughout the formative years creates a familiarity with that scenario. So it becomes familiar, it becomes natural to see the authority figure and see the state as the arbiter of your life and the arbiter of truth. It's all perception programming. Homeschooling also means obviously that there's no homework because all work is done at home. So kids have more time to be kids if they're not glued to brain rewiring technology that is and I'll be coming to that in a minute. The education system is not interested in opening minds and teaching kids what they really need to know genuinely relevant information to life and opening up new ways of seeing the world and new levels of understanding outside of things like reading and writing and basic maths. It's there to teach kids what they need to know with need to know in inverted commas to pass exams which is absolutely not the same thing. The move to academies in Britain now means that schools don't have to follow the curriculum but teach a broader range of subjects but you can bet within that range of subjects will still be the national curriculum, official line, download, official narrative. Now, I've mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again. There's a clip of a 90s TV show called Boy Meets World, 
which I found on YouTube and in this clip a teacher character called Mr. Feeney who often gives life advice and life lessons to the main character. How often does that happen in school? He's talking about education and it's brilliant what this teacher says. The main character, Corey, stayed up all night to watch a baseball game with his dad and the next day he was tired in school and he fails a test. That's the background to the clip but I won't ruin it by telling you the details because it is much better to watch the impact of the scene. You can find it by typing Mr. Feeney, F-E-E-N-Y, Mr. Feeney's Fence, Grand Process of Education, or worse to that effect, into the search engine on YouTube. Mr. Feeney's thoughts on education in this clip perfectly encapsulates the difference between the education system as it is in the education system it should be. The education system as currently constituted is a perception programming machine and short of learning to read, write and do basic essential maths, there's very little we need it for, especially now as we live in the age of information. There's never been a greater access to information in known human history. And one thing school could do is teach kids, given that we are in this age of information, how to find information and how to research instead of telling kids what to believe and what to think. Teaching kids research skills will be a far more beneficial exercise than just giving them work to do and telling them how things are, most of which is either untrue or irrelevant to life in the grand scheme of things anyway. Teach kids how to find information, and then, in this age of information, they can find information themselves, and they can decide what they make of that information and come to their own conclusions on the world, society, history, reality, possibility, etc., rather than having it downloaded by school. But of course, if that happened then education would not be the perception programming machine that the permanent government and the elite that control it need it to be for their agenda to succeed. This reminds me of the old saying, give a man a fish and he will eat for a day, teach a man to fish and he will eat for life. In other words, give a kid information to revise and he'll get an answer right for a test. Teach a kid to research and he'll find answers for life. And of course in schools now, we've got another level of this with the sexualization of children and sex education in schools with the transgender and gender fluid propaganda selling the transgender agenda to kids, which is massively part of the elite's agenda. I've talked about the transgender agenda in episodes 7 and 26. That's another reason the permanent government, the elite, want kids in school. I've talked many times about the agenda eventually for the state to take over from parents in episodes 10 and 15. And the school and the education system is now moving in this direction, which was always planned. And, then, and the next subject is childhood again, technology. This is in The Independent. I see no reason to police my children's screen time. As a depressed teenager, films and TV saved me. Oh, thank goodness. New research from Oxford University shows that using smartphones, tablets and watching TV will not in fact damage the health, mental or otherwise, of teenagers despite previous scientific claims that it might cause poor GCSE results and lack of curiosity. The newest study reviewed existing data from the UK, US and Republic of Ireland and found little evidence for the use of devices causing poor well-being. The controversy around screen use and adolescent well-being has always suffered from an excessive opinion relative to data, said Max Davey from the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health. He explains that the analysis is robust. It also questions the widely held belief that screens before bedtime are especially bad for mental health. 
all of which is a great relief to me because there is no moratorium on screen time in our house, not at bedtime really or any time. The TV goes on between activities largely because I have two small very active boys and sometimes the adults need to do a load of laundry, make dinner or when it's very early in the morning and commune with their phones. Although I felt a mum guilt whenever I've learned that another parent's idea of daily screen time allowance is a fraction of mine, I've also privately questioned the accepted wisdom that screens equal bad, particularly for kids' mental health. Mostly because, as a former depressed teen myself, screen time was a saviour for me. My teenagers and childhood featured loss, bullying and isolation, and without knowing it, I was walking around with yet-to-be-diagnosed mental health problems and a neurological disorder. I grew up in the age before smartphones and tablets, but screens, specifically movies I could lose myself in, TV comedy shows that lightened my mood and computer games that helped exercise my brain in ways I couldn't get anywhere else were a lifesaver for me. Unlike books and music, which I loved, I didn't have to work to tap down my wandering attention span to the issue at hand, but was immediately immersed in a world beyond my own troubles. Screen time was also benefit to me in adulthood. I'm an introvert with social anxiety, and I've always preferred interacting from behind the safety of a screen, where I can put thought into what I type rather than dealing with the pressure of a social encounter. And in the lonely early days of motherhood where I was struggling with a new baby in my own postnatal depression and having moved to a new area. It was through social media that I met many of the people who were lifelong and face-to-face friends. So if my kids are of a similar bent to me and find solace in screens as part of their wider lives, I don't see the issue. The issue with screen use in general, I mean, not the more complex concerns that come with exposure to potentially dangerous online content. Of course, I don't want my kids to become YouTube zombies, but screen time is rarely a one-on-one activity in our house. If the TV is on, the kids are generally playing in front of it and we have conversations about what's happening on screen or on the tablet if someone is playing a game. Screens are going to be a regular part of my kids' lives as they get older, so I want to normalise their use as much as possible. Also, my older son's nursery key worker is very impressed with his literacy and numeracy skills, places an encyclopedic and slightly patronising knowledge of prehistoric mammals. What I refrain from telling her, of course, is that he gleaned all of this from shrill educational videos on YouTube Kids. All in all, I'm very glad that screens don't damage teenagers' health because my kids are sitting in front of the TV right now and one of them has an iPad on his lap to boot which means that, although she won't know, the technological radiation emitted and received by these technological devices, he's got the iPad on his lap. I mean, what does anyone think the effect of that's going to be? Article goes on. Neither of them are teenagers yet, one's four and one's 18 months, but I'm about to load the dishwasher and that generally takes a while, so who knows how old they'll be by the time I'm done. Well, that settles it then. That's it. Let your kids stare in front of a screen all day. There's no problem. All the studies done and all the effects of technology addiction. That's it. This article proves it all wrong. One study, and this is what I was talking about earlier, when I said school, the education system, is there to condition kids to look to authority, to the state, to officialdom for life as the arbiter of everything. One study comes out disputing the idea that too much screen time has a negative effect and this journalist takes it as read and writes an article about it without looking at any of the other information. It's exactly what I was talking about just now. That's how journalism works. Contrary to what this new research says, there are health and other effects from the overuse of technology. This article perfectly encapsulates the ignorance of mainstream media journalists who just take the official line without doing any research of their own. I've been saying for well over a decade now that that's what happens, and this article is a prime example. I've talked about the effects on the brain of technology in episodes 19 and 21 
I've talked about the effect on reading paper books and physical material on kids and adults in episode 39. And the information I talk about in those episodes, this journalist will never have looked at nor would bother to have found out. Social media is a large part of what kids look at and interact with when using technology. And there have been numerous reports of anxiety, depression and even suicide among kids and young people using social media. Psychologist and researcher Sam Vaknin has done some great work exposing the psychological effect on kids and young people from the use and overuse of social media. Vaknin contends these social media giants know the effect their platforms have and when you consider the fact, as I've explained before in episode 19 and we'll be exposing in much more detail in the next few months, Silicon Valley is only controlled by the military intelligence networks like the CIA and the NSA, National Security Agency in America and beyond, which I'll be revealing in due course. It's not surprising that these internet giants would know and would have created their platforms to have that effect. In addition to social media effects, there are the social effects or anti-social effects, to be more accurate, where, especially among kids and young people, but far from only, the art of conversation is dying. Kids and young people today are growing up in a world where conversation skills are taking a backseat to technology, and within the next generation or so, we will have a society where conversation skills are never developed, where emojis replace emotions, and where nobody can or will read physical material of any substance or length. What kind of society do we think this will create? A society perfect for the elite's agenda. How is the elite's agenda going to be understood and communicated, let alone challenged in such a society? It neither can nor will be, and that's why it's all happening. Kids used to be kids and spend hours playing outside, not inside staring at a piece of technology. I've said before that I was very fortunate to have lived a, what you might call a traditional childhood in that sense, which involved technology, yes, that was among outside play and other aspects of childhood, as opposed to being addicted to technology, so that's more or less the only thing that you focus on, like kids are today. As well as all of this, there's the fact that technology addiction, which is being systematically generated through content on technology, smartphone apps, some of which are specifically created to hook the user so they'll keep using the technology. These apps out now like Snapchat and WhatsApp and Pokemon Go, they're made to keep people addicted to technology. Technology addiction is leading to a very dystopian end, as I explain in episodes 10 and 11. Technology addiction is now classified in the same bracket as cocaine use in terms of the potency of the addiction. Because the brain releases dopamine when people, including kids and young people, get their technology fixed just as it does when people get their cocaine and other drugs fixed. And if this journalist, with the word journalist in inverted commas, Robin Wilder of The Independent did just a bit of research, he'd establish that. Technology addiction is now classified in the same bracket as drug addiction. But there's nothing to worry about because the Oxford University says so. But then, she is a mainstream journalist, so what can you expect? One name for this addiction is Internet Addiction Disorder, but there are other ways the addiction manifests itself. App Addiction Disorder would be another one, I'm sure. This article is not just ignorant and lazy journalism, it's irresponsible journalism. As parents reading the article, some, not all of them, but some, who take it on face value, as many will, because it's come from an official source, it's a journalist who's quoting an Oxford University study, so it must be true, going back to what I was saying earlier, are going to believe there's no problem with endless screen time and technology use, 
because that's what they've been told, and they'll leave their kids wide open to fall foul of the impact on them of technology, and they'll buy the kids all the technology, all the virtual reality stuff, which is the next level of the technology addiction, because they've been told there's no problem, so they'll believe there's no problem. Simple as that. And kids will be prepared for this technological dystopian nightmare, which I explain, as I say, in episodes 10 and 11. So this article is not journalism, it's repetition of the official line. But then virtually the entirety of the mainstream media globally is repetition of the official line. So it's no surprise. This is what pay-per-view is about, to give people access to a wider range of information rather than just repeating. And when people actually take the time to look beyond the confines of the official narrative of everything, they find, first of all, there's an enormous amount of information, which most people never see, and that it explains the world with a clarity and a expansion of perception, so the world actually makes sense, and apparently unconnected people, events, organizations, etc., become fundamentally connected, and you can see why things happen as they do, and why society is as it is, and how it all fits together. And once you know the elite's agenda, then the world becomes an open book. Not an open iPad, an open book. And that's what pay-per-view is all about. So that's it for this week. That's the news. That's the context and connections. That's pay-per-view. More to come next week. Until then, goodbye.